Fred Van Lenty, writer of mostly comic books. I uh, worked for Marvel for a long time. I did Marvel Zombies and Amazing Spider-Man and Incredible Hercules and Taskmaster and X-Men Noir and all sorts of fun things. I did Archer and Armstrong and Time Walker for Valiant. Uh, I also do a lot of nonfiction comics uh, with my pal Ryan Dunlavey. Action Presidents, Action Philosophers, Comic Book History of Comics, and at the moment we're kickstarting the Comic Book History of Animation right now. So happy to be here. Welcome to the show. Yeah, it's, it's happy to have you. Uh, I'm happy to have you on the show as well. It's really good to speak with you. Thanks, um, So, yeah, let's talk about this new Kickstarter then, because um, we are recording this on uh, the Monday. But um, just uh, before we started recording, you announced that it has officially been uh, completely successfully funded. Um, so that's got to yeah. be, yeah, it's got to be really exciting for you. It is. Uh, you know, we only launched, it's been less than a week, which is obviously pretty exciting. And, uh, and yeah, so we, uh, we, we li- I literally came up to turn on my browser to talk to you, and I received the notification. So it was pretty exciting. Uh, but we have three weeks to go and some stretch goals to raise. Uh, yeah. Including, like, you know, slip jacket, dust covers, and, you know. All the Brian fancy pants stuff. stuff. <laughs> fancy pants stuff. We want to go to Japan to do research on animation. Uh, oh so wow! It's stretch goal, but yeah. uh, so the hype the hype will continue for the next three weeks, and particularly if anyone is listening who would, would like to see the history of animation from silent films to CGI and comic book form. The moment the Kickstarter is the only way to get it. So yeah, that's it's so exciting. Like I've spoken to a number of people now about their Kickstarter projects, and you know, there's obviously there's varying degrees of success. I'm I'm quite pleased to you know to to know that most people that I've spoken to have had their Kickstarters um, you know successfully funded in one way or another. Um, But of course, like the I don't know about you, but the pressure almost kind of doesn't doesn't let off does it there's always there's always the next thing to do you know there's like there's when you yeah. first launch it i imagine there, it's like a lot of nerves about will people like it will it get funded and then when it does get funded you think that's what you're aiming for but then after that as you say there's there's stretch goals there's you know there's other there's other like exciting kind of milestones well, you have to reach isn't there? and we are also like five dollars over our goals so <laughs> <laughs> storming ahead don't even every penny counts it's fine well, and don't forget people can cancel at any time and you know so yeah you, to protect yourself, you want to, you know, go keep 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 pushing forward. Unfortunately, we have three mm. weeks to do that. We have not even begun our massive podcast blitz. And thank you again, Matt, for having me on. This is you are the inaugural. Ah, I, I'm of so proud of that. <laughs> um, and Ryan is currently tweeting me. Um, <laughs> yeah, this I, is I, yeah. This is all happening live. Partner in crime, exactly. It's all it's it's live radio, folks. Not really <laughs> live taping. But, yeah, yeah, but that's brilliant. So, like, you've you've got stretch goals you've got in mind. You've got ideas for how you want to keep pushing. Obviously, you know the as you say, like the idea of successfully funded is 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 one thing, but also that shouldn't put people off. Kind of, you know, putting some money towards it because obviously they can get in on the ground floor on on your new project. Yes, I'm telling them to stop texting me. <laughs> I'm recording. Stop texting me. <laughs> trying to be professional here, Ryan. That's right, please, Louise. Uh, Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this inaugural one. Get this one out of the way, and then the rest will be great. That's fine. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm joking. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I did a Kickstarter. My wife and I wrote a play about Jack Kirby called King Kirby that uh, we kickstarted the production for about four years ago. So this mm-hmm. is my second Kickstarter, my first comic book Kickstarter, even though obviously the play being about Jack Kirby had a lot to yeah, do with yeah. comics. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, one of the things Ryan and I have been pretty good at we've been actually been doing these nonfiction comics 
for a long time. My first Marvel comic was Amazing Fantasy number seven. Wow. And it came out in 2005 on the same day as Action Philosophers number one. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you've been like, it's been with you all the while then, this collaboration. Yeah. And I mean, like, uh, you know, after like 10 years of trying to break into mainstream comics, you know, it's funny because the, uh, well, first of all, I had broken my ankle in 2005, so I couldn't go to the comic book store to see. Brian would like me photos of, look, look. And what's cool is that, well, what's hilarious is because of the alphabet, Action Philosopher is an amazing fantasy we're racked next to each other. More right. Often, more yes. Often. Yeah. You try to break in, you know, in the industry for 10 years and then suddenly you do. And not only do you have two comics on the stands at the same time, they're they're literally sitting next to each other on the stand. So it's uh, yeah. fairly surreal. That's really cool. Yeah. And you can play that off that you planned that all along. That's exactly what you had in mind. Like this is like <laughs> you're just so so hyper organized. I was I was on opioids at the time. I would have preferred not to have had the broken ankle. <laughs> but yeah, I that. that's true. That's true. I might yeah, have yeah. believed that at the time. Oh my god, he's texting me. Stop. <laughs> he's just Ryan, so excited. Ryan's the sort of person you write, stop texting, I'm recording a podcast, and he texts back, stop talking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stop talking and reply to my talking. text. Thank you. Oh, oh, no. So tell me about this uh, comic book history of animation then. How did uh, this project get started? Because it, this is obviously the sequel to um, the spiritual sequel to the comic book history of comics that you've right, done before. Exactly. Um, yeah. Was this like a sister subject that you always wanted to tackle? Is this something you had in mind when you started the first one? No. Um, we sort of... we. We started out doing philosophers, and so once that project wrapped up, we did about nine issues. We did it was about three hundred pages of philosophy comics, which was shockingly successful, particularly to us. Uh, and we sort of were casting about for what subject to do next. And I had been volunteering for the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art, which was this nonprofit here in the city, trying to get a museum set up uh, as of yet unsuccessfully, but uh, brings eternal. Uh, but uh, I, I had a pretty good background in comics history. I had I had um, embarked as sort of a personal project, the biography of Jack Kirby, which morphed into the play I mentioned that I finished my, with my wife, Crystal Skillman. But uh, but we sort of settled on comics as a theme, and there's a lot of sort of interesting in, uh, intersections between animation and comics. Uh, Jack Kirby, uh, when he was still Jacob Kurtzberg, uh, was an in-betweener, which is sort of a low-level artist. Uh, at the Fleischer Studios, makers of Betty Boop and Popeye and and, and all that good stuff here in the city mm-hmm. in Times Square. And uh, Asama Tezuka, of course, who basically is the father of modern manga, is also the father, essentially, of anime. He, he mm-hmm. when he was making the uh, Iron Armed, he still takes to make He's so popular. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, like, on his way to an accountant. Like, like he also has something else to do. I was going to say, if he wants to come on the show, get him on. We can yeah, have right. him chat in yeah. as well. But, yeah. I, <laughs> I I think <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Definitely already on the show in 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 Morse code sound. Yeah, yeah. I've never done like a verbal and a written interview at the same time, but I can ask you to ask him questions. We have the technology. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so there was this intersection, and uh, we've been doing. Uh, then we did other things. We've been doing these uh, kids' books uh, called Action Presidents about the U.S. presidents. That's uh, finally going to come out on uh, color. Uh, the summer. And uh, it just sort of occurred to me one day, why don't we do a comic book history of animation? Because I know that that's, frankly, I think that's what Ryan would prefer to be doing animation. Uh, like mm. that is real love. And I, 
I just sort of realized, oh, you know, this is this is a very similar topic to comics, touches on many of the same issues, but uh, it's a completely different subject in, in many, many, many ways. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you've both, it sounds like you've both got like a, your own kind of history with animation. Was this like something that you had to kind of research a lot about? I imagine there's, you know, there's a lot of things that you wanted to kind of nail and get right. So you obviously did a lot of research in that sense. But was this, you know, was this a passion project for for you both anyway? Like if if Ryan's like, one of his first loves is animation, this, I imagine this was kind of a dream project for him. Absolutely, uh, and you can just see. Can you can you text him and ask him that? Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> right. no, just kidding. In the, uh, in the in the in the yeah in the written in the written, uh, you always know his brash project. For, his written answers in the written interviews you've done is like three times longer than mine. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always actually, you know, what, what I am always been passionate about uh, as a fan has always been cinema, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing the history of cinema as a comic would be really awesome. Probably a bit more challenging than the much narrower topic of animation. But, uh, you know, you still get to do things like talk about um, Thomas Edison, who directed uh, the first sort of pseudo animated film. And then the guy who starred in that movie was a was a uh, Englishman immigrant by the name of J. Stuart Blackton. And he actually did the very first animated cartoon in 1907, which is called Humorous, I'm going to screw up the title. Uh, <laughs> humorous Faces of Funny Faces, I'm pretty sure it was what it was called. Um, oh, right. And uh, and he started Vitagraph, which was the, the first real movie studio here in Brooklyn, only a couple miles from where I'm sitting talking to you. Hmm. Um, oh, wow. And living down the street from him was a very famous strip cartoonist named Windsor McKay. Hmm. And um, Windsor McKay is best known for his comic strip, Little Nemo in Slumberland. Oh yes, yeah, and uh, which came out of this other strip he did called the 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 uh, Dreams of a Rarebit Fiend, and they had done a very a fairly successful Broadway show of Little Nemo, a musical, but as you might imagine, the sets and the elaborate set pieces were so expensive. Even though the show was very successful, it didn't really turn a profit because it was so expensive to put on. Right, and so he started doing. He did a little. He did a little animation of Little Nemo that was filmed here in Brooklyn down the street from his house in Sheepshead Bay at Vitagraph. And then that sort of became one of the very first movies. And it was in color also, which sort of blew people away. Uh, But (laughs) what's funny is that, uh, you know, we we live in an age right now where everyone seems to be obsessed with conspiracy theories and and fake news and and, and the the real hidden history behind things. But people, when they first saw, for some reason they found, they had it, they had a tough time wrapping their brains around animation idea that you had you were actually drawing thousands of individual drawings and then photographing them and then speeding up the film and that's how they were moving they were obsessed with the idea that they were puppets oh right well in the very very early days like yeah they're like no this is garbage i don't believe that this this is that anyone could do this i think you are somehow manipulating this with wires or something like they're marionettes or something which to us just sounds completely nonsensical but it was a real Mm. pro you know it was it drove windsor mccain nuts yeah, is he sat there because he was nuts. <laughs> and if you've ever seen some of his line drawings of his animation, he just was a savant. Like his line work, the only person I've ever seen with that good line work is Alison Bechdel. Actually, mm. uh, his line work, and he sat there and drew every frame of his cartoons by himself. I he, mean, if that's not if you're not mad to start doing that, I mean, then that yeah. would surely send you mad, wouldn't it? Like the the, exactly. the minute process of it. Yeah, and so. 
part of the reason animation became so challenging was because it's so physically arduous, you know? Hmm. I mean, unless you have a savant like Windsor McKay who's going to sit there and draw 10,000 drawings by himself. And this is pre, this is before the cell method was invented, right? Where you took you two pieces of celluloid, the bottom was the background, the top was the figure, and you just swapped the figure out. No, 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 no. Windsor McKay hmm. drew the background every time by himself. Wow. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? Like the... Yeah. The, the process that these things have to go. I mean, we, we say like, oh, wow, you know, obviously the the idea that these were puppets in some way is ridiculous in its own way. But I, I can totally understand the the bafflement of, say, of like someone saying, no, no, I hand drew every single moment of this. Yeah. I can imagine someone going, yeah. no, that's that's ridiculous. No one would do that. No one would have the, the skill or the, the talent or the time to do that. So obviously that's completely fake news you know right. i can see not believing that absolutely and if you google if you go on youtube <clears throat> library of congress has put the little nemo film up on youtube so you just go hmm. and see it. what's funny about it is that, is that mckay even makes fun of himself in the movie part of the movie is it's 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 like a magic trick where the magician does the trick and then tells you exactly how he did it because clearly there was some defensiveness there because when the film is structured where mckay is boasting to his cartoonist buddies and actually, Jay Stewart Blackton's also in the in the scene that uh, that he can make pictures move, and they bet some insane amount of money in their little gentleman's club. And then, but then, like you see workers going into a studio carrying like reams of paper, right, and these giant mm. barrels of ink. And some one wow. of his friends said to McKay, "Why aren't you patenting this? You can make a mint of this." And Winston McKay's like, "No one's no one's crazy enough to do this." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only me. Like, I'm the only person dumb enough to actually do this, so uh, I'm going to uh, not bother because if anyone is crazy enough to draw fifteen thousand drawings, then you know, then join mm-hmm. the club was essentially what he yeah. said. And yeah, I yeah. really ended up regretting it later in life because uh, people started suing him, <laughs> who did actually <laughs> patent the the animation process. Oh God! Wow! So it like took a real kind of dramatic turn near the end. Oh of yeah, life. yeah. Uh, well, so because so much of the story of Hollywood and the story of movies is the story of unions, right? Mm. And the story of labor, and uh, yeah. particularly early on in the '30s and '40s, you know, Disney, Warner Brothers, all those places got shut down by strikes mm. by folks who, uh, you know, the the working conditions were were pretty terrible you know i mean it's you know just as windsor mckay discovered whether you have one you know sort of very driven individual doing it or you have several hundred people doing it as you had like on something like snow white and the seven dwarfs i think it was something like 600 people worked on it wow yeah i mean even if you go today now to to pixar you see a pixar film you know one of the if you sit through the whole credits one of the last credits is all the babies who were born Oh wow! Yes, yeah, I During remember that. Yeah. Like that's just not that's not just the vast number of people involved, hmm. but the vast amount of time it takes. Right? Yeah, that's some it, kind of metric of of like how long the process took to actually get this uh, into the cinema. You know, we we you know, and like the the ending of the of the movie, it's like we made these sixty humans. You know, <laughs> the same yeah. time it took us to make one film. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it, it's fascinating, and this is obviously. This obviously helps with a project like this for you, like because these stories are fascinating subjects. They're, they're, right. It's not just kind of, you know, this this was the first one, then this was the second. Someone yeah. came along and did this next. There's always history and there's always something to, to mine, like a story to be found within these kind of historical events, isn't there? Exactly. I mean, that's that's going to make that easy for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm always much more interested in the human side of it, like particularly in the comics. Your comics, we tend to focus on specific people, like whether it's a 
it's a Jack Kirby or Trina Robbins or something like that. Um, you know, it's it, it's also fascinating to sort of go through how deeply embedded, for example, women were in animation from the very beginning. Uh, the first, the most powerful person in animation in the silent era was a woman by the name of Margaret Winkler, who hmm. owned her own film distrib- was the main distributor for cartoons in the United States. Wow. Uh, she was a German-speaking Hungarian immigrant who was the um, uh, secretary to Harry Warner, one of the Warner brothers. Yeah, um, yeah. who famously, <laughs> poor Harry Warner. I don't know what his problem was. Harry Warner really hated cartoons. Like he really hated cartoons, oh, wow. and and he hated them so much he made his secretary handle the distribution of them. And she was so mm. good at it, he encouraged her to just form her own company, <laughs> which she did. And she quickly. And she, so she's the most powerful woman in in in, in animation. She was uh, most excuse me. She's the most powerful person in animation. Uh, and she was distributing Fritz the Cat, not Fritz the Cat, uh, excuse me, Felix the Cat. Felix, yes. Yeah. Big uh, animation star. He was the biggest star of the silent era. He was he was mastermind of a studio run by this crazy Australian named Pat Sullivan, who, who famously uh, did not like his contract with MGM so much. He pissed on Louis, Louis Mayer's desk. Oh, my God. He, he had a lot of alcohol problems. Anyway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so crazy. He was constantly threatening Margaret that he was going to quit and go to some other distributor. And, and how much of this? And she also represented the Fleischer brothers creators of Betty Boop and Coco the Clown and Follow the Dancing Ball and all that fun stuff. Mm. Uh, and so it was this constant stress of these very alpha males constantly yelling at her and trying to, you know, threatening to leave. And how much of that is, you know, men being threatened by powerful women, how much of that is, you know, creative types being threatened by suits. Who knows, mm. you know. Yeah. But uh, she got very excited because she got this these films from this this filmmaker in Hollywood called uh, Alice, Alice's Wonderland. That was a combination of live action and animation where a little girl went into this sort of cartoon land, but she had this cat like that followed her around. That was her pal. Hmm. And so she encouraged this guy and she, she recut a lot of his movies and really kind of taught him sort of how to paste jokes and stuff. And that guy's name was Walt Disney. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And that was the first film. And, uh, and who knows how that relationship would have changed, but she ended up, getting pregnant by one of her own salespeople and married him. He took over her business. How much of that is voluntary? You don't know. And he ended up being crazier and more aggro than he was, than she was and and drove me away. Bloody hell. I mean, this is so fascinating, isn't it? Like the, I mean, this era, I mean, every era, but like, first issue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 This is like annotations of the first issue, but this is, yeah, it's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm interested in how you, where you begin a story like this because i i imagine that this was slightly easier to to begin like to to pinpoint a point in time to begin this story than it would have been with the comic book history of comics because obviously you know uh art and words have been together for in many forms over the decades and the centuries but like the the comic book history of animation there is potentially a a more direct pinpoint to say this is where we start. So, like, what what was the kind of the process for you in 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 thinking right? This is this is where I'm going to begin the story. Now, people are going to think after the Kickstarter page, this is a setup because literally the first line of the book is we can start the story in many places. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leading you in. I'm feeding it to you. <laughs> Softballs, I love it. Uh, yeah. Um, so. Like a lot of filmic history begins with Muybridge and the the essentially the invention of photography. Hmm. 
and Moybridge's uh, Edward Moybridge's studies of uh, horse uh, race horses and runners and jumpers, where they're just basically a series of you know photos, sort of showing like um like a high jumper, right? Like each stage, mm. mobility of how the how the legs and the arms are all working together. Um, I mean, another thing is there is there early toys like the zoetrope. And um, yeah, I remember that seeing that in school, like the you know the, yeah. the spinning animation, like the it forms the animation the faster you move it. Yeah. Yes, the the the, the all those all these things, the camera and the zotro, basically the the human eye, the optic system, the optic nerve, can really only handle so many images per second before it starts to blur. So mm. what all that stuff does is if you spin similar. I mean, if you do totally different movie images, it's just a bunch of nonsense. But if you do, you know, sequential uh, images really quickly, like 30, 25, 30, 40 frames a second, it starts to become continuous. And so that's called persistence of vision is yeah. the, uh, is the t- scientific term for that. But uh, and so a lot of people start there, which which was tempting. But what we started was there was this vaudeville comic strips, which form part of comic book history of comics and animation of certain degree come out of a certain vaudeville traditions mm-hmm. with this sort of, you know, middle brow uh, comedy style and drama style that was big on the stage, particularly in the late 19th century. Um, one of the more popular stage acts at the time was something called chalk talking mm-hmm. or lightning sketching. Uh, and again, actually, if you go to the comic book history of animation Kickstarter, while you're listening to this, don't turn it off. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, so like, like a gag was, um, you'd get, you'd have an artist, you get him on stage and you'd be drawing, uh, he'd be drawing one scene like, Oh, it's a, it's a bucolic cottage with a horizon line and, and, and all this. But then with a couple, but then you add some lines and suddenly the cottage would turn into a sailboat and the horizon would turn into a sea. And so you very quickly before our very eyes, transform this drawing from one thing to another yeah ood and odd and it was it was all super impressive and so that was called uh lightning sketches and in fact um uh and i'm gonna butcher his name the one of the earliest uh directors george millais i I cannot pronounce it sorry my french is is (laughs) good uh the guy who made a trip to the moon you know where the 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 capsule sticks in the guy's eye oh yes yeah yeah very famous silent film uh, he starred in, he was so, so good at drawing. He actually, uh, did a bunch of satirical s- sketches like this about, about making fun of, uh, French political figures called, called lightning sketches. Uh, unfortunately, all those films have been lost. Uh, but another person who was really good at lightning sketches was Windsor McKay. In fact, he started out as, um, sign painter and, mm. an, and an advertising man in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he was so good at drawing things with a single line, his, boss would just send him out on the street corner to just draw in public and sort of do wow. promotions that way. Yeah. And so the first bit of character animation in cinema history was a film that McKay did called Gertie the Dinosaur that was to sort of attempt to pr- disprove this conspiracy theory that any kind of puppetry or like sleight of hand was being used in the, f- in the making of animated films. Yeah. Um, hilariously, the first animated film, uh, Humorous Faces, is a funny uh, faces by J. Stuart Blackton. Blackton was so not into doing, and Blackton also was a uh, was a was one of these chalk talkers doing the lightning sketches. In fact, that film is mm-hmm. essentially a chalk talking routine just filmed. 
he got so sick of drawing, he actually cheated and actually used stop motion, like a lot of what looks like drawings, because it's literally white on a blackboard. It's actually mm. cardboard cutouts that he actually moved because he was just sick of drawing the same faces over and over again. <laughs> so the Grizzly was not actually that far off. Yeah. But Winsor McKay had this amazing stage act where he would do the chalk talking routine even after the film started coming out. I mean, he would get like $1,000, $2,000 a week, which is like a king's ransom in, in those mm. days. Um, so he actually created this the first character animation, Gertie the Dinosaur, where he would actually stand, he actually timed his routine to her reactions, this giant, she's this giant, giant uh, brontosaurus, essentially, and he's like feeding her and and and, and actually uh, interacting with her and timed his live act to the movie, and, and, and that was supposed to, you know, disprove this idea that, you know, there were actually people behind, you know, the screen, mm. her, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so really the first, what we think of as the first character animation, she, Gertie cries, she, she, she fights off a mastodon. She, she gets fed. She does, she's playful. She dances. That was all created as part of this live action vaudeville routine, hmm. which is sort of fascinating. That's why we start with the vaudeville stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so let's talk about the, the, the kind of the structure and the format of the series as well, because I, I can't imagine that there's anyone that hasn't at least, you know, know something about comic history of comics and action presence, action philosophers. Um, but this is um, a series um, of, of educational uh, books, or um, is it uh, kind of like you say nonfiction is how you refer to them, but educational makes them sound a little drier than they actually are because these are like really funny, really engaging kind right. of uh, at, like almost like very kind of um, open and accessible to as as wide an audience as possible, aren't they, these stories? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think of them as comics essays, basically, just humorous comics essays where we where mm. we we like to say our style is irreverent, but accurate. We, we give you the facts, but not just the facts. We also have like fart jokes in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, it's like being with a clever friend at a party telling you something, you know what I mean? Like that's hopefully mm. what, what the overall effect is. Um, and it's very much more about the people and the ideas behind the, um, you know, I hate like, like what I like to call biblical history, you know, which is like Felix mm. the cat, begat Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, begat Bugs Bunny, Bugs Bunny, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah, that's yeah. That's the crap out of me. And also, if you just do the cartoon characters, you're violating like 700 trademark laws. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you got to put some, you know, your own stuff in there. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and, um, uh, anyone who wants to check out our stuff, you know, we, uh, action philosophers, we did a comic about Ayn Rand, mm. Steve Ditko's favorite philosopher and, uh, uh, the kind of objectivity that comic is actually for free on comiXology right now. You can read the first seven pages of comic history of animation for free on Kickstarter. Um, so it's definitely out there. Yeah. I, I, I always cringe at the idea of educational because people act like, People cringe at the word history sometimes, which is mm. very frustrating. They just, you know, any anything that's named after a subject you had in school, like like if I did a comic called Recess, no one would buy it. You know, <laughs> well, it's such a shame as well because these, as we said earlier, like these stories are fascinating in one hand they're entertaining in another, but also they're you're covering people and histories of of 
individuals and events that are so rarely touched upon. You know, like I can't imagine many people have heard the, you know, the stories you've just told me about, like the most influential kind of women in animation at that time. Um, and it's, you know, on a certain level, it's erasure, but on another level, it's kind of, it just gets lost in in the in the swath of history. So like to actually have, you know, someone like yourselves and Ryan to actually bring these stories to life and in a way that is accessible to, to all ages really as well is... You know, is, is that something that is important to you to kind of make sure that these 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 stories get out there? Uh, it is. Um, I, I've spent my adult life around mostly comic book artists, but artists in general. And, you know, I, I, it means a lot to me to sort of talk about where pop culture comes from and where these characters you love so much come from and and um, and humanizing them to the point where people understand it's not just sort of mindlessly cranked out in a factory somewhere, you know, and that's yeah. why... Uh, you know, you get frustrated with folks who think Walt Disney drew every frame of every cartoon, you know, and, and well, even after his death, people still talked like Walt Disney was a guy with a pen in his hand over a drawing yeah. table. When he, you know, he hadn't drawn a single blessed thing since like 1925. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. You know, his real skills were as a, as a leader. I mean, he wasn't even really that great of a salesman. He was really good at inspiring other people uh to to he was he was good at having a specific vision and getting other people to bring it to life which is you know absolutely a valuable skill uh as one of his his more bitter employees put it he was his genius was exploiting other people's genius yeah yeah um but you know that that we're social animals that <laughs> there's a, there's a room for that in our society you know mm-hmm. uh but uh you know i i try to sort of make people realize that there's i, I guess i i i as you get older, and I've, I've had this feeling since I was a very young man, but you get frustrated because people are constantly obsessed with there being more to the world than the world. Hmm. You know, that there's got to be, that this isn't enough, that there's got to be something, some vague, other, better thing out there in the horizon. And so I, I like tearing down this idea of magic, this idea that, because so many people find the creative process utterly mysterious, right? Yeah. They don't know what, you know, what's the, what's the most common question you get on the, on the convention circuit is where do your, where do your ideas come from? Right. But everybody, everybody has ideas, right? It's, but that's not enough. You know, the, the the problem is, is people treat ideas and inspiration as if it's like winning the lottery, you know, Mm -hmm. as if you get it and then everything is all downhill from there. Well, unfortunately, (laughs) everyone has great ideas. The it's, it's the people who put in the, the sweat equity of actually going out and executing those dreams and making them a reality and transforming them out of dreams into reality. That's where that comes from. So it's, it's, it's work is magic is I guess what my, my overall message is. Yeah. yeah. I've done about pop culture and about, about creativity. And it's Mm. a, it's a, it's a losing battle. (laughs) 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 God damn it. I'm, I'm going to go down with the ship. <laughs> I've made my decision. <laughs> I am sure that's not true. I'm sure there are so many people. I mean, you must get people coming up to you and saying like, oh, my, my kids learn a lot from your books. Like my kids now are interested in history or interested in philosophy because of, you know, because of the way you've presented it and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's got to be um, in, in itself. That's got to be, uh, you know, part of the the reason to keep doing these, these books, isn't it really? Is the oh, yeah, to... yeah. I, I'm not, I don't want people to feel sorry for me. I guess, my, I guess my point, <laughs> is, I guess my point is just more that like, is that the, is that the appeal of the, um, and sort of the recent sort of world political sphere right now has driven this home to me more than any other thing is that, is that, is that it's people really want to cling to the idea that 
they don't want to know. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, mm. they want, it, you know, it's, it's the old cliche of print the myth, not the, you know, yeah. the, the, the legend trumps reality. And that's just the way it is. That's just how we're wired. I think by the mm. way, our, our, the way our sensory mechanisms work, you know, I mean, movies in and of themselves to use a super belabored cliche are a lie. Fundamentally, you are tricking people by they're all individual pictures, but we're moving them really fast. They look like they're moving, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're based on an illusion. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, because that's quite an interesting like uh, contrast with the fact that the, the subject matter you're actually, you know, discussing because animation of course is this, is the suspension of of disbelief and the you know the idea that these this dinosaur is actually interacting with him on the stage you know rather than it being like a puppet or something it's it's a real it's a real lie very you know for want of a better way of putting it but um so that kind of presents like an interesting contrast with with actually presenting the the history and, and peeking behind the curtain in the way that you are yeah exactly and it was you know he was trying to counteract the idea that the, that the dinosaur was like being moved by wires or something and like <laughs> yeah. for people to believe that then somebody had actually photographed forty thousand or two hundred thousand or however many drawings it was to to make three minutes mm. of film, whatever it is and when you say it out loud it sounds crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it sounds unbelievable doesn't it yeah like, I'm, I'm believing it less and less the more i know the truth of it yeah that's right yeah. But how how do you think, I mean, I don't want to kind of peek uh, behind the curtain of your own series and, and kind of sure. uh, get the answers without reading the book, but like, what? how do you think our relationship with animation has changed? Because obviously, on the surface level, there's a lot more credibility to it, isn't there? From everything from like Akira to Toy Story to Into the Spider-Verse, like they're, they're, it's more of an right. accepted mainstream thing. But how do you think that has kind of evolved over the decades? Well, you know, in many ways, the story of animation is the story of film technology. You know, I mean, Disney had employed a thousand people to work on one of those films and about that many people still work on the movie on the movies today. But I do think mm. that there is a way to through technology uh, improve that somewhat. I mean, don't forget also like <laughs> like one of the most insignificant inventions in the history of animation is the Xerox machine. Right. Right. Because yeah. Before that, people by hand like monks, you know, in, in some medieval monastery had to sit there and copy everything, even if Windsor McKay wasn't doing it by himself. There was this entire wing of the Walt Disney studio called the pen and ink department, which was staffed entirely by young women were sitting there in, in smocks with pen, you know, brushes sitting there and redoing these, these, these cells all the time. But then the Xerox machine was invented and you just print out a lot of stuff and then just, you know, didn't need the ink department anymore. Just, you know, you just had to color it in and then you had color Xerox machines. So you didn't even need that. Right. Mm. Um, but, uh, uh, and also a lot of the stuff, again, a lot of this is the story of labor. A lot of it got sent overseas. A lot of the animation, uh, like so many, much of American industry has been outsourced to Asia where you've got mm-hmm. the, you've got directors and, and screenwriters and the, the high level people who are in LA, but the actual work's being done in uh, a lot of Simpsons, for example, is almost entirely done in Korea, right. uh, Korea. So, so, uh, and I think that when that happened, and when CGI came along to reduce a lot of the labor, it, it reduced the cost to a certain degree. And so there was a, there's a dead area in animation between, say, Sleeping Beauty and the, and the Little Mermaid, just to use two Disney benchmarks. Sleeping Beauty was a huge flop. Little Mermaid was a huge hit. It, it was, there was kind of a, 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 just kind of a dead zone there where the only real game in town was sort of the Hanna-Barbera style TV animation, which was very cheaply done, where mm. the costs were kept down. You know, if you're a Gen Xer like me and grew up on Hanna Barbera, started starting cartoons, 
you just accept the fact the background repeats for no reason. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, never-ending cool really way. Yeah. With the same, you know, image of Scooby-Doo running, and you're like, "What's?" You, know, you just sort of accept it, you know. Yeah. I love the Spider-Man cartoon in the '60s, but they they reuse the same shot where he's swinging from what appears to be the sky. Yeah. The being is not connected to anything for like ever, and they use the same shot. There's one night shot and one one day shot. They were the same shot. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it is fascinating, isn't it? And it's fascinating how um how we've grown as as you say, like the actual the history of animation is the history of of um of computer graphics and of, of technology that's evolved and like to to talk about like the sixties Spider Man series and then to to compare that to in like into the Spider Verse, which is just right. kind of that's that in itself we've gone from technology and movies pushing the boundaries of animation to animation pushing the boundaries of technology haven't we like the the into yep. the spider-verse has is is influential in so many ways and that goes so far beyond animation as well it's it's about how how cinema and how action movies and specifically superhero movies are going to be are going to be told from now on i imagine well and 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 that's not unique in animation history you know the the, the real pioneer of color film was Walt Disney because the head of Technicolor, now you, you get color film with celluloid by prisms, right? You split mm. the light as it's coming into the camera, into the various spectrums, and then you have multiple film strips recording what, you know, the art, you know, I believe it's CMYK. No, it's, it's R, the RGB uh, 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 spectrum. Yeah. And Technicolor sold to Disney the exclusive rights to use Technicolor for two years, which was three colors while everyone else was using two colors. And that's where his uh, Silly Symphony series came from. And that allowed Disney, Disney very shrewdly, it was shrewd on Technicolor's part to realize they should partner with Walt Disney. It was Walt Disney's shrewdness to realize he should agree to the deal. And yeah. so he owned color animation for two years exclusively. And that allowed mm-hmm. him to really wipe the floor with a lot of his competitors. So this has always been a part of animation, then. Yes, hundred percent. So I want to talk about Ryan as well because uh, I mean uh, he's a crucial part to, of this. <laughs> I mean he's muscling in on the podcast already with his okay. with his texts and, and tweets. So like you know we've got to acknowledge that he's there really, yeah, paying right. a bit of attention. Yeah, but I mean he's his style has um, you know talk about evolving. His style has evolved over the years um, with you know the projects that you've worked on together. Um, but looking at the um, the images on the Kickstarter, this is um this is like some of his his best work i think like he's he's got such a such a skill of comic timing you know you talked about earlier about you've been able to insert that kind of humor and find the humanity and the kind of the human aspects of these stories i mean that's kind of that that's yeah ever more possible with ryan's work isn't it absolutely and we we made a choice that seemed very kind of organic for the subject matter but i think it's going to serve us really well is that also, there's just so many, you know, we just did 400 pages, 440 pages of President Comics, and there's just so many white men in suits you can draw before you went on the road. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we, everybody's animals in this one, so. Yes, yeah. Walt Disney's a mouse, Jay Stewart Blackton is a, is a bulldog because he's British and we have no imagination. <laughs> <laughs> No, I love that. I love that kind of um, that approach to it as well, because again, that makes it all the more accessible, doesn't it? Really, and it kind of it tips tips the cap to the reader to go, you know, this is this is fun. This is this is history. This is educational. You are going to learn something, but you know, we're going to have fun along the way as well. 
and it's more fun for us and we're coming up with the different animals and stuff yeah yeah and, uh, <laughs> that was like the, yeah. the fun part of it for you yeah, like Ed, thomas edison's a squid because squids are deaf <laughs> right, yeah and, and multi-tapters <laughs> yeah yeah notoriously aggro well, uh part of the reason my, my other favorite thing i learned about this which i didn't realize is that thomas edison like sued anyone who who made movies or projected movies to quote unquote protect his patent. So part of the reason the film industry moved across the United States to the West was yes, there's a lot more sunlight over there, but it also was to get the hell away from Thomas Edison, who was in New Jersey. <laughs> wow. <laughs> right. Okay. So they're like, now we're, we're going to be harder to find. We're literally going to go across the continent to get away from this guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Well, so um, Comic Book History of Animation is on Kickstarter now. Um, it's completely funded, but there's still a lot more like stretch goals that you've got in mind. Um, yep. You've got things on there. You, have you got like, have you got anyone like wait, any, waiting in the wings, like the ideas for stretch goals? Have you still got some things yet to put on there or is everything kind of on there ready for people to, to go and investigate? You know, it's it's not like it, it, I... <sighs> I don't, I, I find it really hard to call it stretch goals. I got to be honest with you. So like <laughs> our stretch goals are like the same thing, but nicer. So like, mm, yes, if we get yeah. enough money, we're going to hire rather than having Ryan do it. Although Ryan's a great colorist. It's going to take him longer, but we're going to hire Adam Gosowski, who did, who's a great colorist who did um, the colored version of the comic history of comics. We hit 25,000. We're, we're going to, we're at 10,000 now. We hit 25,000. We're going to do really nice, like ultra premium books not that the books you will get aren't going to be nice they are going to be nice uh, <laughs> that's the line you have to tread isn't it really it's just like yeah yeah i've seen them the difference one is nicer but you know the first one's great uh and then if we if we if we quintuple our our current uh level we're gonna go to japan and do yeah. research in tokyo and go to asama tezuka's birthplace and all that good stuff um we may go anyway. Should I say that? I guess I shouldn't say it. No, give us money. So <laughs> yeah, you will not be able to go without it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm just, I just like, uh, also it's like, like I, I'm a big role-playing game guy. So I fund a lot of role-playing games on Kickstarter. And like, it's not like we can't compete with like, you get playing cards. You know what I mean? Like, it, like the yes, you get yeah. little, little plastic figures, you know, like I, I'm not going to do plastic figures. I don't, <laughs> no, I don't feel like that. It's hard enough researching and writing these books, man. Yeah. Yeah. True. Well, the one last thing I want to talk to you about before I let you go is sure. you mentioned it twice already. The uh, King Kirby play, which yes. fascinates me. And um, the, you know, obviously, it was with your wife um that you you put together put this project together but like tell me about it how did that come together it's it sounds like an amazing thing to work on it was really terrific uh i had written it um i started out as a biography like a lot of like like i spent my 20s starting and abandoning projects with aplomb and this and i did this sort of kirby i just was fascinated by kirby kirby's kind of the zealot of of american comics you know he end of the 20th century you know he started out in 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 a ghetto in the depression he fought in world war ii he co-invented romance com- where he, you know he, and right before that he created captain america with joe simon and then he and joe simon did the romance comics which have become a sort of a staple of 50s culture and then with the cosmic superheroes both at marvel and with the new gods he sort of tapped into that what that sort of psychedelic culture and he was one of the first people to do independent comics in the comic book shop so he was just mm. really everywhere yeah, and I sort of quickly realized that you could tell the story, and there's so there's this Shakespearean aspect of this, right? Where he, where he sort of had this ongoing conflict with Stan Lee and had to sue Marvel to try and get his, or was thinking about suing Marvel to get his art back versus very public spat with Marvel in the '80s. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it's just sort of this fascinating story. And I started out doing his biography, did a lot of research, and then uh, because I was an impatient sort of fool, I just kind of dropped it. But then I wrote a play because I was dating a playwright at the time, and it's sort of a monkey see, monkey do type situation. I was like, well, I'll be good. <laughs> uh, and then. And I did a draft and it was pretty good, but no one cared in 2002. But uh, fast forward to, you know, less than a decade later, even I was, you know, doing pretty well at Marvel myself. And this outfit in Brooklyn wanted to do a comic book theater festival. And Crystal was like, hey, remember that Jack Kirby play you wrote? Mm. We should do that. And uh, I sort of dusted it off. And she said, she sort of looked at everyone, well, you should do this and this and this. And I'm like, you are co-writing this with me. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting on this. I'm making you me this, yeah. this and uh, uh we had a lovely run we had a lovely sold out extended run in brooklyn we got great new york times review it's been in canada it's been put up in a bunch of places here in the u.s we're currently talking about remounting it here in new york but those uh the the the, the wheels of theater grind slowly so mm, yeah we are still working on that uh but uh yeah it's it was really rewarding and uh i got to meet mark evanier who was uh Jack's assistant during the New Gods period and has written a lot about Jack himself and got to meet a lot of really cool people and it was it was very exciting. That's really cool. Yeah, really, yeah. really cool. I love it. And I love the history of Jack Kirby as well. He's such a such a fascinating man and such a such a fascinating story. Uh and yeah. as you say, like I read in one of your an older interview that he did, he's he's basically like the Forrest Gump of comics. He's like he's he's yeah. there yeah. for all the major yeah. mo- moments in in the yeah. the early yeah. days of comics. Yeah. So yeah, fascinating. Well, Fred, thank you so much for joining me. This was Absolutely fascinating to talk to you about uh, the history of animation and the comic book history of animation, which is on Kickstarter now. So, uh, so yeah, Fred, thank you very much. Live until I want to say March twenty sixth. You can come and get a book. Oh, brilliant! That's March twenty yeah. sixth. That's fantastic. There's loads of time. That's great. Yep. So yeah, everyone should get there and and you know share it and promote it and back it more importantly but yeah brilliant thank you (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's it yeah that's the issue is part of the multiversity comics podcast network you can find this show and plenty more at multiversitycomics.com you can subscribe to the show via apple soundcloud stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts if you like what you hear please consider sharing this episode with a friend the show is on twitter at that's the issue and i'm on there too at matt loon Finally, you can contact the show via email at that's the issue podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Bye.